I know you're into rocks. Are you into rocks? I've been collecting rocks since I was a little kid. I like crystals. Um... Of course kids are drawn to rocks because it's there's so many ways that they can have that sensory input with them. Picking up shiny rocks and showing them off and putting them in a bag never to be seen again. That's basically my experience with rocks. You know, who doesn't like crystals and agates and anything shiny? It, you know, it's like rockosophy, but in a podcast. It's rockcast podosophy. Let's do it. Okay, so we are here for another fabulous episode of Rockcast Podosophy. This is Rock Rat with my wonderful guest today, Dustin Brewer. You want to say hi, Dustin? Hello, everybody. <laughs> so, Dustin and I go way back. We met at a wildlife uh, society conclave back sophomore year of college. And, Dustin, do you want to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background? Yeah. Um, I am employed as a research associate, so that's what I've spent a lot of my time doing. I research bird biology and how urbanization might affect um, birds. Well, particularly, I'm interested in conservation and trying to keep around the, the native things that we have left and the natural things that we have left. And uh, in addition to doing that during work, I just in general like to get out into the natural world and uh, enjoy, um, enjoy it all I can. I think that's the that's basically me in a nutshell. I like natural things, natural people. <laughs> yeah, and you have your own blog, and you're a published author, which is also very important. I think it is. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy writing mainly, you know, just for fun to think through my my mind, think through some thoughts, and put it down on paper. That's about all there is to it for me. I am trying to, lately I've been trying to edit the one that I started back in high school, even, the Killing Kiki on the novel, historical fiction novel about Native Americans in the Midwest and a fictional character who ends up seeing a lot of their world that I researched a lot, but really it is a fiction story. I've enjoyed going back and seeing what I wrote a long time ago. Yeah, why have you enjoyed it? Well, I enjoy thinking about history, and it's interesting to see how I used to write, and uh, I think it's a good story, so I hope that I can get that one published, and if not, you know, it'll be good to just have it finished in my own mind, even if I'm the only one who ever wrote it, so I feel like it's done either way, so... I'm making a final push, I think, to, to uh, uh, perfect or to finish that one, at least. How long is it going to uh, be? Then, hmm? It'll be about uh, 400 pages double-spaced in a Word document. Um, wow. So it'll be, a, it'll be shorter than that in, in print, I think. I don't really know how many pages that would come out to, but, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been a, a companion of mine for over like eight years. I've been thinking about that story. So it's always cool to go back to it again. Yeah, that's excellent. 
Um, I don't, I don't think I've ever actually asked you about the plot, but I won't ask you now because this is not the time nor the place. And I will definitely read that story and all of the rest of you listeners should as well. Um, so Rockcast is just Dustin, for those of you who may not know, has was my first contributor. He has had a blog of his own for a much longer time. He writes Imaginings of a Naturalist, which is prolific, I think, because you've got like, what, 40 something readers, which is great. And you have written stories, you've written a field observation of wolves for me once, and you also came out to visit last year, and we went rock hounding ourselves. So, I mean, we can talk about nature hobbies and how you view the natural world. We have a very similar outlook on these principles and the value of birds in conservation, especially um, in urban environments. But you know, why don't you just sort of segue us there by telling me whatever it is that you know or appreciate about rocks or rock hounding culture? Well, when I went rock hounding with you and when I have read your your blog posts, I've been struck by how good of a way it seems to get out there in the natural world. You know, I don't think that you necessarily need to have a specific objective in mind, but if I think it helps, you know, to get yourself out there. If you're not feeling um, up to just going out there for um, a, a random reason, that is a good specific reason to get out there and uh, to think about natural processes and how much time has gone on. And um, it seems like a good way to get out there and feel a part of the natural world. So I think that it is a valuable um, experience and I enjoyed watching you and your element and you seem to um, know more or less where to look for um, what you were looking for and we found some cool stuff uh, and yeah I think that it's a great way to get out there and feel a part of the natural world to think about how these rocks got to where they were and how to find them where they're at. I also enjoy birding, and I know that you enjoy birding as well. You are an ornithologist by trade, and that's actually the first thing that we bonded over. Um, do you think there are any parallels between birding and rock hounding as far as you, I noticed that you said the phrase, knowing where to look, and for birds, that's very important. It has a lot to do with the ecology of songbirds. You know, if you know, like, where in the canopy to look for a bird, it's going to be much easier to find and also what it sounds like. So that's a parallel to me, but do you think that knowing where to look for birds is a good way of engaging? Is that an element of why you value birding or is it something else? Yeah, I think it's very similar to rock hounding because for me, um, the most interesting thing isn't seeing a rare bird or um, anything like that. It's just being out there with the uh, the bird and thinking about why it is the way it is. And while it's exciting to see a bird you haven't seen before, just like it's probably exciting to find something when rock hounding that you haven't found before, I think that the main value is just observing and uh, um, appreciating what is there you know it's a 
to look at a bird or to listen to a bird is to be uh, informed about a long history that has led to that bird and that moment. So I'm sure that the same feeling could be had when you're looking for rocks and I could probably find joy in rock hounding like I do uh, birding. I think that anything that's the result of a long natural series of events is interesting to me because thinking about those events um, based on what I see kind of allows me to feel more aware and more connected to uh, where I'm at. So I think that it's very similar. Yeah. Do you think that it is easier to see that history in, say, a sedimentary rock where you can like actually observe the layers that were deposited over time or perhaps a fossil? I know we went and found some agatized fossils when you were in town. And I did have an interview with one of my coworkers who described his favorite rock as sandstone because you can see the layers that are deposited over time. And he thought that was particularly interesting because you can watch, you can sort of peel back the layers of time. Um, I know mm-hmm. Aldo Leopold, you know, that's how he introduces a Sand County Almanac is like sawing through a tree and like going back in time. Is there a way that, or you would prefer to go back in time with rocks? Um, I don't know if there's exactly a way that I would prefer, but I agree that seeing the layers is really interesting. For example, you know, when I've been out in the Grand Canyon area to see all the layers so clearly visible, it's fascinating to think about, um, all the time that went into making those layers. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, this might remind you, I'm showing, uh, Tori, uh, something that we found together. Did we decide a specific name of what this was? Do you remember? It's kind of a shell, like maybe a mollusk-like organism. Well, that's an agatized clam. Yeah. Um, I yeah, don't know is, what species of clam. I think that this, it was really exciting to see you find this. And uh, for me, that is quite interesting too. Like I don't have a, a preference as far as um, sedimentary or a fossil. It's all interesting to me. I think it'd be more interesting to me if I was more educated on the subject. <laughs> I'm sure that, you know, it's another level of appreciation for um, you and your fellow rock hunters when you find things like this. I think it's cool how it's crystallized on the inside. Um, it's very cool. Yeah, that's so that rock um, for our listeners is it's an agatized clam, which is probably the size of about what, like a a half dollar, like a silver half dollar. And um, it's a perfect half. Like if you were to just find a clamshell, it's it's a perfect half. And the inside is um, geodetic. So it became not only you can first of all, you can have a fossil from any mineral like you can have an opal or you know, a garnet fossil because it's just mineralization of organic material. So the fact that it's agatized is not of necessarily note, but the inside of it 
um, has a little bit of druzy quartz crystallization. So it actually became a geode. And if you hold it up to the light, the crystallization is also minutely different in between the tongue, which is the meat and potatoes basically of the clam. And then you can see the tiny little lines from what I think is the heart and the notochord. So it's a fascinating specimen. It's a beautiful rock. We went, I also found some agatized kelp. It was a very exciting, very cold day <laughs> in Western Washington. Um, but that have you is been back to that spot before or after we were there? No, I have not um, because I haven't necessarily needed to. Yeah. Yeah, I went there. I had that experience. <clears throat> you and I had a good time, I thought. Um, yeah, I enjoyed myself. Yeah. It was a nice long, nice long journey, like winding uh, gravel roads. It was very memorable getting out there. <laughs> yes, and uh, returning from those gravel roads, I was um, very overconfident in my navigational skills, and uh, it took us a little extra longer. But those are the stories that you get in the field, you know, navigating and getting in and out and that was the same day we or that was the same trip we went to ho national forest yep that's right yeah and we saw that's where i saw my first uh varied thrush and uh when i saw the bird in the car when we were driving i you stopped and i got out and i opened up the the door quickly to get my binoculars i think which were in the back and i hit my nose <laughs> So I always remember that I'm lucky I didn't break my nose. I, I did bleed, but <laughs> luckily it wasn't any worse than a little cut. I remember that, yeah. And I, for some reason, did not have a first aid kit. I now have two first aid kits in my emergency box, uh, just <laughs> for the next time that we go adventuring, which we should do in Idaho because we're right next to Idaho. I'm in Spokane right now. And where are you calling from? Or Yeah, where are you? I'm in Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah. Because you work at Indiana University. That's right. Yeah, that varied thrush was impressive. And we saw um, an Anna's hummingbird when we went. We took a drive through Olympia and stopped by Evergreen College and saw, like, a bunch of we saw a weird morph of a junco and um we saw at least two different hummingbirds and then we found out that not only are there four hummingbirds in this region but that a lot of them actually winter here because it's like a temperate rainforest yeah i was i enjoyed seeing them i didn't know that they would be there during that time so i remember somebody had a feeder out for them and we saw them going to the feeder i think right outside their office yeah birding adventures so um what is your favorite nature hobby probably hiking and just then sitting outside in a particular spot so i also like kayaking but probably the thing i like the best is just walking out into a natural area and then uh, just hanging out in a particular spot and trying to pay attention to uh what's going on around me and have that be the main thing I'm thinking about or experiencing. So that's what I really try to do when I can on a regular basis, get out into a natural environment and uh, try to just be with it. 
Would you consider that a crime? I'm sorry? I said that's probably my favorite thing to do, just in general. I mean, is it a hobby? I'm not sure, but... <laughs> I think it's a hobby. Um, I think that's a very specific kind of mindfulness. Would you consider it mindfulness? Or would you yeah. consider it meditation, maybe? I would. I think that it could be thought of as meditation. A, uh, a place to go to uh, um, retune, as a, another friend of mine has said, who's a musician. He likes to go into the natural world to try to, you know, get back on the right wavelength after being in a place that he doesn't like being so much. So I think that it's definitely a meditative experience. And you also write music. Are you still doing that? Yeah. Um, I just very frequently I will um, just play my guitar and uh, just say lyrics that seem right in that moment. And I never record the song, but occasionally I'll still try to write out the lyrics and then record the song. So just recently for the Super Bowl, I wrote a song called Super Bowl Song, <laughs> and it, uh, it's related to the fish that are in my fishbowl. So it's it was a clever, I thought, way to, it's on YouTube, so I thought that if it was going to get any views, putting it out on Super Bowl Sunday might be a way to do it. And uh, I enjoyed writing the song, and uh, I'll probably write it some more before too long, but I don't. I regularly write songs that I record these days. Hmm. You should send me a link for your YouTube. I I know that I've watched things on YouTube from you before, but do you actually have a channel, or do you just post them as an individual? Um, I I just have an account and I upload them. So maybe it's just as an individual. I don't know. I I don't know much about channels. Um, for example. Do you have a channel on YouTube? I remember, I've, I know I've seen a song that you wrote on YouTube. You have to have a channel to put that up there. I, I remember I, that song still. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, actually, no, I don't know the difference. And maybe there isn't a difference, but I thought that a channel required some kind of, or maybe like if you do it enough, it becomes a channel. But there, I know there's like an account and then there's a channel. I actually forgot about that song that I put on YouTube until I was in grad school. And um, I was trying to show someone the baby Eastern Spotted Skunk that I saw that I found and recorded in the Ozarks. And it was so cute. And just for anyone who's listening, if you find a baby animal that is like very cute and alone in the forest, it's going to die. So it was a very sad discovery. <laughs> Um, because, you know, we can't, like, take it home and rescue it or anything, and, you know, it was just, it was alone, you know, separated from his mother, but um, I put that on YouTube, and then, I guess, one of my um, co-workers in graduate school continued to follow links and was just like, I didn't know you played the ukulele, and I was like, oh, geez, I haven't, I can't, I'm sorry <laughs> that you had to watch that, and um, I don't have, I don't share your talent for musicality and writing um but i do appreciate you know communing with nature in that way i think the most fun that i have playing ukulele is probably in nature like around a campfire 
you know, it's very inspirational. I, so something that I think about, I think more often than I thought I would, if that makes any sense, is when we were in the Ho rainforest and it was raining, of course, because it was like January. And you said something just like, I'm going to, I'm going to go sit, I'm going to sit around here for like half an hour and just be alone in the nature and I'll come find you, like stay on the path. And we ended up like 45 minutes later, like calling each other, like, where are you? Because, you know, I went and yep. sat on a mossy log and I, I, you know, did something which I imagine to be very similar because I just sort of soaked it in and meditated. And it was a mindfulness that I have not felt many times otherwise outside of that kind of venue. I have had profound moments of clarity when I was in an MRI um, for my back because you had to stay so still for so long. And then when I got one for my brain, um, I mean, you have to stay so still and they didn't put like headphones on me or anything. And so I just, the stillness amongst the chaos was very clarifying. And then remaining so still and the breath meditation that I was trying at the time in the Ho rainforest, at first it was difficult for me to separate um, from you actually, because we were out there together and I, you know, I'm very attached to my like very small cohort. You are a member of that obviously. And it, it was a weird kind of like the mist settling on your skin, but then you stop shivering and you, you're not cold and you're not hot and you're just kind of floating in the forest. It was beautiful, I thought. Um, and I think we talked about that later, but those are the kinds of experiences that I have had with you, Dustin, in nature when we are being very quiet. I am very talkative and you are very soft-spoken and um you know are there any experiences like that about your nature hobbies that you would like to describe for us it's okay if not um well when i uh was driving north from a job that i did in florida i drove through south carolina and it was when the solar eclipse was happening so I hiked out into Congaree National Park, and uh, that was a great experience. I There were a lot of people around the visitor center, but I hiked back several miles until I was all alone and I didn't see anybody else. And I was out there in the, uh, it might have even been a wilderness area, I can't remember, but it definitely felt quite remote during the solar eclipse the total the totality it was completely dark um, more or less and uh, i recorded the um i had my recording equipment out there so it was cool to have that set up and have a record that i can go back to to revisit that moment the owl started hooting um when it got dark and uh just that moment to uh, see the, the darkness happen um, as the light from the sun slowly went away. This is a good reminder that, uh, you know, we're always moving. We're just a part of the big uh, interacting process. So that was a really 
eye-opening experience and it was great to be in that particular spot because it's a an old growth site forest really big trees and one of my favorite places to be in general to that but to be there during that special moment um, was quite memorable beautiful absolutely beautiful you are a poet my friend um we're going to take just a brief uh intermission for the ad for this website we'll be right back and we're back so dustin do you want so we've talked a lot about philosophy and so i'm going to very carefully reword what i was going to ask you which so when it comes to nature and the development of nature hobbies and philosophy people's intrinsic attachment to nature is very important it's one of the things that i found to be a theme in your novel which slipper jump um do you think that people developing nature hobbies is a result of just like being naturally drawn to it i mean it's drawn from a lot of things i'm not being very articulate right now um I guess I'll just start with an example. I am so much deeper, I think, like so much more philosophical when I am uncomfortable in nature. Like, you know, it's really, it's really hot. The birds are screaming at you. You know, you have to like hike a certain amount of time, like a distance. And I actually enjoy hiking until I am tired or until I feel something around me. And then I stop and I'm like, well, you know, someone will ask me, well, where are we going? And I'll be like, I don't know. I'll just know when we get there. And then I will stop and I will sit on a log or something and I will become the bump on that log and just have, you know, very existential philosophical feelings. It's, I can't tell if it's the chicken or the egg, which comes first. Thoughts? Um, I think that it helps to have, for me, like I remember, um, like maybe even, five or six years ago, or maybe closer to 10 years ago, I remember being out in the woods and being a bit uncomfortable just because of everything that was um, unknown to me and scary movies and things like that. Um, I think that sometimes people might tend to be afraid when they're out in the woods to some degree for good reason, but um, for me, despite what I just said about being afraid like 10 years ago, I did grow up next to a nature preserve and spent a lot of time there growing up and I think that that helped me to feel comfortable in nature and maybe is part of the reason that I was willing to go out after I left the nest after I left my parents house and just hang out in the woods and in natural areas alone and as I did that more and more I felt more and more comfortable and felt more and more more and more at with where I was at. So I think that it probably helps to have had some um, experience with it when you were younger as far as being comfortable out there. But I honestly feel that probably most people um, are at least somewhat predisposed toward feeling comfortable in the natural world once they can get by that initial feeling of unease. I feel like just 
more evolutionary history, we are going to probably, you know, feel some sort of sense of being at home in a natural environment. And I think it, a lot of people probably never experience that feeling because they never spend extended periods of time there. So I just have a feeling that, you know, if you can get it out there, given your circumstances and spend time, ultimately it probably will be good for you um, as far as your, your mental processes. But there are, of course, exceptions for some people it might not work. But I think that that probably is a predisposition toward feeling um, at home in a natural place. That would make sense to me. Yes. I agree. Homeliness. Where do you feel most at home in nature? Um, I like eastern deciduous forests. Um, that's where I was raised, and uh, that's where I feel most comfortable. So I know that I have enjoyed a wide range of habitats that I've been in, um, from the mountain mountainous regions in the west to scrub habitat in Florida, but um, really I always feel the most at home in the type of forest that I grew up with. I like to be in those places, especially old growth forests, places that um, likely have been not cut or otherwise disturbed for hundreds of years and perhaps never have been uh, deforested by people. Are there any truly old-growth forests left in North America, or at least in the United States? Yeah, one of my favorite uh, places to go growing up is Warren Woods State Park. It's uh, a uh, beech maple forest that has probably about 100 acres of old-growth, um, supposedly never cut forest that is that way because the person who was allotted it or who got it during the colonial times, you know, inherited land that apparently hadn't been cut before he got it that we know of, and then he just left it untouched, and since then it was never cut. As to, you know, what the Native Americans were doing, how that land was before he arrived. It's hard to say, but it, it is known that that forest is, has trees that are hundreds, like 300 to 500 years old. It is a pretty good example of the type of place that I consider old growth or primeval hmm. and uh, a cool, cool spot. I like that word choice, primeval. Um, I used it to describe the topography of uh, Eastern Washington, because like a primeval forest to me is, you know, very dense and very green, very thick, lots of like the smell of decay kind of hovers in the middle of the canopy. Um, and out here, like when I say that, it means you can see the layers of like lava flows that <laughs> dried at different rates in the columnar basalt that broke up under, you know, different kinds of water erosion. And 
it looks like the kind of ground that is beginning to break down to create soil, like when terrestrial land was first forming on Earth. Um, and I, it's very humbling to me um, to be in places that are prehistoric feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a definite feel out there. When I was visiting you in the in, in Washington, you know, just all the green, all the moss, it had a definite uh, distinctness about it, and I really enjoyed seeing that habitat out there. Yeah, it has it has a very unique age to it, and also um, a surprising amount of like like accessibility when you drive by it it's so much thicker than the deciduous forests that like we grew up around or maybe that i grew up around but you know you drive by it looks so dense with plant life and moss and things we, we could actually i could actually walk you know like 100 meters in to sit on a log like without being completely swallowed up i don't quite know how to describe that but it's it's a strange depth perception like disconnect between actually standing in the forest and also like approaching it. Something that I remember from that trip. So if you, do you have a story that you would like to share about your, like the value that you find in nature hobbies or, or you can just take us out with a final thought that you have on um, rockosophy or your human connectivity. Is there like an event that has, you know, have you encountered? I, I remember your story about actually being told um, by someone you met in the field during a point count survey about your graduate advisor who ended up being a graduate advisor. Um, anything along those lines that you'd like to share? Um, well, just in general, kind of touching on what we've been talking about, I think it's important to Oh, okay. I'm fixing it. I think that I think that it's important to take the time to get out there. There we go. Be it uh, rock hunting or be it birding. I think it's important to get out there and take time to um, just get away from the um, all the things that go on in your life. You know, for me. Even though I study the natural world, it is certainly important for me to take the time not to think about um, specifically um, data collection or why this or that happens from an evolutionary standpoint. I think that uh, it's important to just be to a place and do a thing, whatever it might be, we can. Hopefully, feel connected with the natural world and just be there rather than um, thinking about this or that. That's important for me. And it seems like there's a lot of different ways to do it. So, I don't have anything specific to say, but I think that rock climbing is an interesting um, window into the way things are. And if you can gain that understanding and get out to places where rock accounting might lead you. Um, it's like a great, great way to 
sometime soon and we will definitely have to go explore. I have um, a list for us to pick and choose what it is that we want to go looking for. So, well, thank you so much, Dustin, for taking the time for being on my show. And I'm sure we will have more conversations to share later. Yep. Sounds great. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me.